Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 21, Raw Honesty and the Power of One with Beth and Alexis. Today we have two special guests with us, and they've both helped to make a dent in the fight against breast cancer. I first, I say met in quotes, I first met Beth Bergman on Facebook about two years ago when we were both just up to our eyeballs and cancer fighting crap. We were both in the middle of our storms. We were both fighting for our lives at the time. And a mutual friend of ours, a high school buddy of hers and later sorority sister of mine, introduced us on Facebook Messenger. And during this season of our lives, we leaned on each other a lot. And it wasn't until after our treatment was done that we finally got to meet in person. Beth had called me and said that she wanted to participate in the Susan G. Komen three-day out in San Diego. And what did I think about that? <laughs> I, think I, I think I may have laughed because I thought maybe she'd lost her mind. Did, or did I hear her wrong? 60 miles? I mean, that was more than I had fingers and toes combined to count. That was that was a lot of walking. Did she did she mean to say six miles? Dang it, she really didn't say sixty. Okay, so once I let the the sheer number of miles sink in, we talked more about it and decided, you know what, we were gonna do it. We were gonna make a difference, and we came up with a plan, and it was a life changing plan. We did our fundraising. And we headed out to San Diego that November. And our mutual friend, V, and my sister-in-law, Sarah, and Beth's wife, Alexis, they all joined us. And Alexis is also with us here today, too. And together, Beth and Alexis are going to talk about this whole entire experience from the dark and dreary and ugliness of the storm, from those diagnosis days, to the badass pushing forward, rising from our falls, and working towards a cure days. Well, welcome, Beth and Alexis. We are so glad to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. I have been looking forward to having this interview because we kind of kicked off some things last year with this whole Keepers of the Flame thing that we wanted to talk about. But first of all, oh my gosh, holy smokes. It took us Forever to get here because we're we're here in Boston. We came from, or I came from Savannah, Georgia, and a lot of people were having to fight the hurricane just to even get up here, which was a little bit of a mess. But um, I just wanted to to say in regards to that, draw a quick parallel here that I like to think about is we talk about how together we weather the storm, right? What a perfect you know analogy here. Like that storm of our own cancers, it may have knocked us down and it may have hurt and it may have kept us from doing some of the things that we wanted to do. In this case, the hurricane kept me from getting here when I wanted to. <laughs> but our storms don't keep us down forever. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that in terms of the whole reason that we are here in Boston today. Before we go on and talk about that event that we're here for, is there anything that you want to add about 
in general, like obstacles in somebody's path, be it weather related or metaphorically speaking about our journey through any adversity? Sure. I mean, any, I think all life in general is filled with obstacles and cancer for sure creates obstacles that the cancer itself is an obstacle and then the whole process of it there are obstacles and and possibly even a better word for it is like a roller coaster i talked about this a lot with friends of mine who are going through treatment is that there's the cancer roller coaster where things feel good and then things feel bad and everything goes right and then everything goes wrong and then the only way that analogy doesn't work is that you never actually know where the roller coaster is going to go. There's not actually yeah. a track in front of you. And so things change all the time. Like I said, it's true in life, but it's certainly true in cancer. And one of the things that I think I've learned through all of this is that even though there's not a track and even though you don't necessarily know which way mm-hmm. things are going, doesn't mean you can't push through follow whatever track gets laid down in the moment and get to kind of quote unquote the other side. Obstacles are just that. They are not in fact barriers. They don't stop you. They just make you go a different way. A different route. I love that. And when you're down in that that low part, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have another high part as well. Exactly. We are here in Boston because we are going to walk this amazing three-day event, which is all in efforts to raise funds for for research and for helping others that are going through a cancer diagnosis. It's for it's Susan G. Komen, the New England 2019 three-day walk. Woohoo! Woohoo! Which you're going to walk how far? Sixty miles. One of the things that I want people to understand, and you said this really well with your roller coaster analogy here, is that when life gets hard, you're not defined by that hard moment, and you can rise back up again after that. But when you see other people that are out there and they're doing stuff, not to think, oh, I wish I could do that, because you can do that. Even though you, you might be feeling that low, you can push past that as well. So to let everybody have a little bit of a better understanding here, help walk us through a little bit your background. How old were you at diagnosis and how sure. did you find out that you yeah, had cancer? absolutely. So it was 2017. I was 36 at the time. And I actually found the lump myself. I like to think of it as getting very lucky, kind of having an opportunity to save my own life by doing so. I was four years away from a routine mammogram, and so there is a very good chance that by the time this cancer was found, it could have been extremely advanced. And instead, it was tiny, teeny tiny. And my treatment has an extremely high likelihood of success, and my chance of recurrence is in fact quite low. And all because you found it early, early. That's exactly right. All because I found it early and not just on a routine screening test. You know, women who take good care of themselves and kind of control of their medical health do the thing that is recommended, which currently is a mammogram screen at age 40, unless you have a family history that suggests that you should be screened earlier. I have no family history. In fact, all of my genetics were negative. And if I hadn't taken the steps to know my body, and not just in that moment, not just at age 36 when I found a mass, but to know my body ahead of time, doing self-exams is one of those things that sometimes makes you feel uncomfortable. And I've had so many people ask me, well, how did you even know that it wasn't, it was something? How did you even know it was unusual? I don't even know what my breasts feel like normally. And that to me is the biggest message I think that I have is that you have to know your body so that when Mm -hmm. something does show up, 
there's no question that you need to look into it because it wasn't like this a month ago or two months ago. Right. So I got I consider myself lucky, but also proactive in that way. Right. Yeah, it's definitely important to know your own body, what's normal for you. Alexis is here with us as well. Alexis is Beth's wife. Welcome again. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you, what, what do you remember most about those initial diagnosis days? Um, being scared, shocked, just not knowing what the future was going to be, not knowing what the prognosis was going to be, just, I mean, just a lot of unknown. What was the treatment going to be? Like, how was our life going to change? What was our son going to know? Just a lot of uncertainty and, you know. I think that is one of the most scary things is the unknown. And I like to control everything and not being able to control anything in this regard was, was scary. Yep. I think we're both, we're both a little type A. I think like that. (laughs) Yes. You I know, get that. I get that. Yeah. But I hear um I hear that you took charge and took care of Beth in that time when, when she first found out and was having to process through that that you stepped it up and took action and took care of her. Yeah, I mean I think that's one of the things I think I love about our relationship is that we're definitely, you know, kind of a yin and a yang. It's like whenever she's having a bad day, I can kind of pick her up. And when I'm having a bad day, you know, she can pick me up. And just, it made sense. You know, I remember vividly getting that, Beth fielding that conversation, that phone call. And it was just... Shattering. It's like life shattering. Yeah, it's just, it's one of these things that just, it, it's it's a traumatizing event that you always remember where you are, what uh-huh. happened, what time it was, what, what was going on. And it's like, I know she was processing and and obviously and having a hard time with it and it was just like give me the phone right I'll go downstairs and and I I just I mean it was I didn't have any idea what I was saying I was like sh- I probably asked the same question 10 times right. you know and I was trying to take notes and write it down and it was just because you're processing it too like yeah. you're having to process through the whole thing as well yeah so definitely I think roller coaster ride no doubt about it Beth, when we, we first met because our mutual f- friend connected us on Facebook Messenger, and what is what was your first impression when she connected us? <laughs> I, I'm a bit of an introvert, and I don't love making new friends, and so V asked if she could connect us, and I said, sure, and then I thought, oh, God, what am I doing? I don't want to talk to somebody I don't know. This is terrible. And what I realized was the exact opposite, that it was perfect to be able to connect with you without having a history, a background. We had an opportunity to meet and bond over this thing that we were both doing in different ways we we went through. And there was no backed up baggage. It was just us together right from the very beginning, and I could ask you things that I might have felt embarrassed to ask a friend who right. I knew closely, um, or we could talk about things, and we still do. I mean, we, yeah. we've done that since in the two years since we've known each other of talking about things that I probably wouldn't talk with other friends right. because there's an intimacy to cancer yeah. that often does not get shared with those who don't know it. It's a sisterhood that nobody wants to belong to. That's exactly but, right. But there's definitely great support there. I will say that I, I like to tell people this too because 
when people are newly diagnosed, oftentimes people want to know how they can help them. And if they know somebody else that it has been going through it, like I know that I found it incredibly helpful to talk to other people who've done that route. Because mm-hmm. as you said, there's a connection that you can't necessarily get elsewhere. But then you also have to balance that line too of like not wanting to overwhelm somebody when, because if somebody tried to call me in the middle of me getting the diagnosis, I would have, it would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. But so knowing when to contact them too. And I just love the way, I love the way that V connected us as well, because she connected us on Facebook Messenger and said, I want the two of you guys to meet, to introduce, and here you go. And that was great because it was very low key and Mm -hmm. it was, I had your contact information now. So when it was a a good time for me, I could reach out and message you and then you could respond when it was a good time for you. It was Mm -hmm. like the perfect way, I think, to, to make that connection. We kind of talk in, in terms of metaphor. We've talked about the storm and how the, we have the image for the Keepers of the Flame, the lighthouse on the other side, helping us weather our own storm. But let's talk for a moment about the actual during the storm moment in the midst of everything. What kind of treatments did you have to have? I had a surgery. I had a lumpectomy. And due to the margins and the discovery of a type of kind of precancer that they didn't know was there before, I ended up having to have surgery again. So I had surgery and then chemotherapy. And then prior to starting radiation, I had a second surgery to get larger margins and remove those previous areas that were a little bit concerning. And then after that, I had radiation. And then following that, or kind of continuing through this, was a medication called Herceptin that I, after finishing chemo in kind, I had the Herceptin every three weeks for a full year. Right. And the Herceptin was kind of an added preventative, preventing it from reoccurring based off of the kind of cancer that you had. Yes. The type of cancer that I had was called invasive ductal carcinoma. It was HER2 positive. HER2 is a protein that is present in a small subset of cancers. And the drug that I mentioned before, Herceptin, is actually an immunotherapy. It's an antibody that targets that protein that has dramatically improved mortality uh, and prognosis for women with that particular type of, of cancer. Right. Okay. First of all, that's amazing that they have that that medicine available now. I know that that was a new develop. I spoke with a, a breast surgeon not too long ago, and he told us that people that had, um, I think it was triple positive, that it, it used to have a poor prognosis. But with the development of Herceptin and being able to have that treatment, it's actually one of the, I mean, can't have a better kind of cancer, but it, the prognosis is is mm-hmm. more in women's favor now that we have, he, we have made those advancements in science. Yeah, and what's really great, and I think what's so poignant to me is that Komen is actually one of the major funders to the research behind that drug, Herceptin. They, uh, the Komen research led to, I believe it's somewhere along the, the numbers of $23 million to the research, the development, and then also bringing Herceptin to market. Yeah. Um, so not just the drug R&D part, but the actual uh, bringing it to market. And that's made a huge difference in the lives of thousands, if not millions of women who have this particular type of cancer. Yeah. Now, triple negative cancer is considered one of, uh, one of the worst because there are no, at this point, targeted treatments against that type of breast cancer. Right. Um, Which is why research is so important, so that 
things can be done like they were done with triple positive. Per two is one of the ones considered a positive. The other two have to have to do with hormone receptors. So you can have breast cancers that are estrogen receptor positive or progesterone receptor positive. And there are drugs that you can take to target both of those receptors. So that's a second, or I guess a I don't know, then a ninth part of my treatment right, right. is, is, having is the... being on a hormone blocker. So I'm taking a drug called tamoxifen, which is an estrogen blocker that I will be taking for the next four years, for a total of five years of treatment. Right. And so that's how we treated my particular type of cancer, which was HER2 positive and ER or estrogen receptor positive. You were triple positive. I was not. I was progesterone receptor negative. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't realize that part. Mm-hmm. But you did say, okay, you did say that you had a lumpectomy. And I think you're you're actually the first person that I've interviewed that had a lumpectomy. So tell me, surgery, was it like day in, day out? Or did you have to stay over? No, it was, it was a day surgery. Both times it was a day surgery. It's still done under, a, you know, full general anesthesia. You're still in the hospital. But it is a day procedure. And the recovery is not nearly as grueling as with a mastectomy, either with or without reconstruction. The first surgery caused a little bit more pain than I was expecting. There was lymph node removal, and I believe that's actually the majority of where my discomfort came from. Yeah. I tried to go back to work about seven to ten days after having surgery the first time, and it was definitely too soon. I was uncomfortable and tired, and it. I ended up. They ended up sending me home. Yeah. Um, so it, it was not the right choice to go back. So the second time around, I did take a full two weeks off. Yeah. yeah. Listening to your body is important. Yes, I learned. <laughs> and not that. trying to push yourself too hard. Alexis, you are one of our best cheerleaders ever. Uh, Tell us about when you went in to support Beth that day that she had her first chemo. Tell us about that. (laughs) Oh, well, one of my favorite holidays ever is Halloween. And her first treatment just happened to fall on Halloween. And um, so... I think you made the plan, right? It was like, we're going to be... I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think it was, we're going to be, we're going to be superheroes. Like, you know, we, we approach everything. You, you have to have a sense of humor. I think. You do. It's like, you know, when I went in for induction, we had like glow sticks and like, who you knows, it's going to be a lot of pain, but you have to have fun with it. And so I think we kind of approached it the same way, which was... We don't want to be here. It's yep. not fun, but we're going to make the best that yep. we can out of it. We're going to, you know... <laughs> so we did. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of best, best friends from high school flew up and so we were all I think I was the Green Lantern mm-hmm. you, I don't remember what they but we were superheroes. superheroes we had capes and we had banners but what are those like logos on the front of yes. our shirt and stuff and, and masks don't forget oh masks. we did have masks yeah. yeah we had masks I was Superman I bet everybody was smiling when they saw y'all oh my god it was awesome yeah yeah and then um I think we're, we're getting ready to leave after your first treatment and mm-hmm. we had the nurse take a video and V put music to it, and it was like us in slow motion, like yes. marching out down, you know, the corridor. It's you had to roll with it and have fun yeah, where you could. You you yeah. have to, I think. You know, it's you can either be miserable with you know the what life gives you, or you can have a good time with it and try to. And you're not really enjoying yourself, but just yeah. try to a, make the best of it. You're yeah, trying there's to make a the quote best. that I love um, from an live Indigo Girls album. It's not mm. even in a song. It's in the like preamble. They're just chatting on stage. And she says, you have to laugh at yourself because you'll cry your eyes out if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that. And it's a perfect, and I say it all the time, and it's a perfect description of what you have to do. Right. You have to find fun 
in this thing that is super not fun. Right. Because um, it's definitely not fun. No. <laughs> but we had a great time, and the nurses on the floor thought it was hysterical. Yeah. And took pictures with took us. Took pictures and videos, and it was fantastic. It was. Yeah. It was a good start to it's what a, we had to go through. It's a memory made in the moment that you will look back on, and it'll make you smile from this time yeah, period for sure. Yeah. So talking about the whole roller coaster highs and lows and stuff, the emotional element to it seems to be a layer of a this cancer journey that very few are talking about. What what would you like to add here in terms like of any emotional wounds and healing from them? Anything that you want women out there to know? You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of emotions, and that's okay. I think that's actually one of the lessons that we don't hear often, both as cancer patients, cancer survivors, but just as humans as well, is that it is okay to be happy one day and it is okay to be sad the next. It's important to feel what you feel and not feel guilty about having those feelings. That has been the biggest life lesson for me. (laughs) That it is okay to be scared and it's okay to cry in the waiting room of the mammogram office. And it is okay to get to work and laugh with your coworkers and forget that you have cancer. All of those things are okay. And that's really hard because we don't tend to give ourselves permission to do things that we think are wrong or bad or, or somehow label us as being weak. And the yeah. reality is, is it doesn't make us weak. It makes us human. Exactly. And so f- letting myself feel what I felt, talk to my coworkers and colleagues and be honest. And somebody asks you, how are you today? My answer is not just fine. The answer is, you know, I felt kind of nauseous today and I didn't want to eat. Or I'm exhausted and I think I have to go home soon. Right. And that's okay. Right. And it's okay to laugh at times. It's okay to cry at others. Yep. It's a whole whole package deal here. You and I, we, we met, we supported one another. And then when we were basically done with all of our treatment, you call me one day and say, <laughs> so Joyce, I've got this great idea. Let's fly to San Diego and walk 60 miles. <laughs> all for a great cause. Uh, let's go. I don't know what this tone of voice is because I think that is a completely reasonable thing <laughs> to, to, to request of somebody that you've known for nine months. Um, yeah, no, I've actually, I had wanted to do the Komen walk and I didn't have the guts for years. I'd seen it. My mom has been involved in breast cancer fundraising through Komen for 15 years. And I knew of the three day and I really wanted to do it. And I didn't think I had the guts to do it or the physical fitness to do it. And then breast cancer comes out of nowhere and knocks me over for a little bit. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. Let's do this. And so I emailed every woman I know, basically, <laughs> and said, I want to do this thing. Who's in? And we ended up with this our team of four, plus all of our walker stalkers, who were fantastic. The best walker the stalkers best ever. ever. And... That's me. <laughs> 
and it was our the, superhero. Right, it was the best time, and we ended up as we you know we joked about it, but we ended up with the with the sisters, a team of sisters, without meaning to. You know, V and I have actually known each other for forever, and many times we're as close or closer than sisters. You and I are sisters in cancer and treatment and survival. You and Sarah are, of course, our actual sisters-in-law. <laughs> and then you and V are sorority sisters. Right. And so without meaning to, we ended up with a family. Yeah. And that was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> we had a good time. And it was all for a good cause because this whole event, this Susan Komen three-day, is about... People coming together to walk these 60 miles. But it's not just putting on pink and let's go and have this big fitness challenge. It's more than that. Because every person that participates in this event has raised a bunch of money in order to be here. So when you see thousands of women out there, like, and all of this pink, it is more than just that pretty pink attire. There is actual funds that are going towards these critical paths. And the numbers are pretty staggering. So our little team of four in one year raised $13,000, which doesn't seem like a whole hell of a lot. But the numbers that Komen has raised is $423 million. Million. It's remarkable. It is. And it is the reason so many of us have gotten... And we have where we are. We have a motto for our team too. The more the more we unite, the brighter the light. And that's kind of the whole essence of this. So you know, okay, so thirteen thousand might be pennies in comparison to, to millions, right? But how do they get that millions? They get it when all of these individual teams of whatever family they make mm-hmm. come together and add their little sprinkle of light to it. And I had people who donated a thousand dollars and I had people who donated five dollars. And I am just as grateful and amazed and thankful for each of those donations because everybody gives what they can. The message that I always had was that this is not about me. I don't want you to give me money. This is about all of us because everybody knows somebody with breast cancer. And if you don't, it's because they've kept it a secret. The numbers in the United States right now are one in eight women will be affected by cancer in their lifetime, breast cancer in their lifetime. So there is no chance you don't know somebody with cancer. Right. That's a pretty scary, scary statistic right there. Alexis, what did you think when Beth came to you and said that she wanted to do this 60-mile walk for the first time? Let's do it! <laughs> <laughs> you definitely jumped on that bandwagon. You were an incredible supporter. Incredible supporter. I like challenges. I like kind of things that are physical. So this was something that... I'm fully supportive. Whatever she wants to do, whatever is going to help her healing, whatever is going to, you know, whatever's going to help this process and help her healing, I want I, I want to be supportive of. So, and plus I got to go to San Diego. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't, doesn't want to do that? November. I was like, in November. November. <laughs> I was like, oh, and there's this walk in San Diego. They're, okay. They're, they're volunteer. They're from, they're from Boston. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so Boston, Massachusetts <laughs> to San Diego in November. Big difference there. Yeah, perfect. So, Beth, tell us the three... Okay, let's dive into the three-day experience for you, physically, emotionally. Tell us how that affected you. Oh, it's a piece of cake. Yeah, right. (laughs) That is so not true. So, it it was awesome. I loved 
asking, this is such a strange thing to say, I loved asking people for money because <laughs> I wanted their support and I wanted them to be part of the experience. I, we planned, we basically made a huge family trip out of this. You know, we flew in from Boston, you came from Georgia, Sarah from Virginia, V from Atlanta, and my parents who were in uh, Washington State at the time came down with my brother and his wife and his, and their son. So it was a huge family affair, which made it all that much better. Mm -hmm. Physically, it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. I trained a decent amount, probably not enough, but I didn't know that. But my my feet weren't quite ready. Yeah. I ended up with some pretty nasty blisters. But other than that, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And it was the most... I've, I ha can't think of another weekend where I've had that much fun right. and felt so amazing. It was ridiculous. This ridiculous world where every time you crossed the street, there were people clapping and waving and telling you that you're awesome. And right. every time you turned a corner, somebody telling you that you're incredible. And it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Was I like to reflect back and think on it. I remember walking next to Sarah kind of towards the end and I was like, and this is the end after 60 miles, we're ready to see the flags folks. <laughs> so we get, we're getting closer to where the flags are. And I paused for a moment and I thought, you know what? When this is all said and done, what am I going to remember? Am, am I going to remember that end moment or am I going to remember the journey in its entirety? The good, the bad, the pain, the pain that we had, the blisters we may have had, look back and laugh on it later, right? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to remember the entire journey. And I think that goes back to your whole roller coaster thing that you said at the beginning. It is a journey, like the whole journey that we're all going through through life, the journey that we experience fighting through cancer and then the journey of the three day itself. It's all highs and lows. And that is what matters is that whole process, not just one particular moment yeah, of it. Absolutely. So we are here now, New England three day, because one year 60 miles wasn't enough. That wanted <laughs> to do it again. And this year you got to take part in the opening ceremony. So, and that was just earlier today. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. It was wonderful. So I got the opportunity. I went on a training walk with one of the local coaches and about a week afterwards, I got an email just out of the blue from her saying, you know, I was really touched by your story and I'm wondering if you'd be interested in being part of the opening ceremonies. Of course I said yes, I was super excited. And so I had the opportunity to write um, just a couple of sentences about my experience and what they, the way Komen does the opening ceremonies is they have these main tenants um, and they come in on flags so those are action, community, research, and care. And so the coach asked me if I would carry the research flag and then write a little something about what research means to me. And this could not have been more perfect. More perfect for you, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm a veterinarian. Uh, science is extremely important to me. Independent of being a doctor, I am just very kind of research oriented if something's going to happen or we have to make a decision I want to know all the details so I can possibly you know I can make the best decision so research is something that is very close to my heart and so that was a perfect opportunity for me and it was great uh opening ceremonies were today it was beautiful I somehow managed not to cry I stumbled stumbled over my words just a little bit but I don't know was... I saw this video I was stuck on a plane trying to get here from the hurricane so <laughs> Alexis recorded it for us and I was able to watch it when I when I got here and you had me in tears you did because everything that you said was just so amazing and one of the one of the things that I've heard you say 
it was about research and that research requires you to fail so many times too, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't realize. Tell us, tell us yeah, about that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're not in a science community, if you're not in a medical community, medical community, I think one of the things that you don't know, because why would you, is that research involves way more failures than successes, whether it's literal benchtop research or clinical trials there are always more failures than there are successes. And that's one of the reasons why it is so expensive to bring a drug to market, for example, conduct these clinical trials. It's incredibly expensive because things, people have ideas and they may be great ideas, but they may not work out for real in an actual human patient Mm -hmm. or a lab um, or a test tube. There's always the possibility that your idea isn't gonna work. You don't know until you know. You don't know that your hypothesis is not going to be valid until after you've done the study. Right. And so that's one of the reasons why money is so important. I said it before, I loved asking people for money, which is a bizarre thing to say. And that's because you need money to do research. You need research to save lives. It's as simple as that. And this research that Komen did ended up creating a drug that has, in fact, saved your own life. It has, yep. Alexis, what do you want the next generation of young girls that are growing into women to know? Um, I guess to take care of their body. You know, I'm a fitness professional. I'm in the fitness industry. And so I think it's exercising, taking care of your body, doing all the right things. And then, you know, shifting gears if this does happen to them to to know, kind of just speak upon what you were talking about earlier about kind of the process of of kind of processing all of this is it sounded a lot to me like grieving where it's okay you were talking about it Mm -hmm. Beth actually you know a lot of it is it's okay to cry here it's okay to be sad it's okay to talk about these things it's and I think that that's bringing an awareness and bringing a kind of being okay with your emotions and what you're feeling and what you're going through and sharing with others because the chances are other people are going through it too you're more grounded in yourself. You are, you own who you are yeah. and you know who you are. And it's strange. There's, there's a stigma sometimes about, about illness in general, mm-hmm. about cancer, health and-, health, and especially about breast cancer. We're talking about breasts. We don't talk about that. You know, those are yours. They're private. And so there's a stigma, I think, sometimes with it. And what I hear you saying when you're, when you're talking about this is like, it's, okay to bring it out in the open Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned and this is not the only time I learned it it was just when you think you're the only one Mm -hmm. there's five more who are doing something similar or have done something similar we experienced that when we were trying to have a baby which of course can't do naturally Um, and so we went through a long period of fertility treatment and right from the beginning felt like it was important to just talk about it Mm -hmm. just be out there just talk about it because chances are someone else is and you know what somebody else was lots of other people were Mm -hmm. and so suddenly I felt alone and instead of feeling alone I had a community to talk to and it's the same thing with with miscarriages you know if you have a lot of women listening to your to us speaking right now it's one of those it's the same thing there's Mm -hmm. a stigma associated with the miscarriage and there shouldn't be because I guarantee you you know somebody who's had one or two or many And this is the same thing. Don't hide it. Get out there. And I, like I said at the beginning, I don't 
really like to talk to people I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to share things. And I shared with people, mm-hmm. and it made a huge difference in my experience. Yeah, mine yeah, as well. Yeah, it feels like such a, it's like a very feminine, you know, you're, a lot of people identify with their breasts and with, it's like that's makes them who they are or makes them a woman or whatnot. And so I think it's, it is not talked about mm-hmm. enough that it's, it's okay and yeah. it happens. I and, mean, cancer is an insult anyway. Right. And then when you start adding in reproductive cancers, mm-hmm. Um, it's not generic, like, you Yeah, know. it's especially insulting mm-hmm. to your body. It's this part of you that is supposed to be so intimate is now rebelling and behaving badly. And mm-hmm. now you're going to talk about these things that you wouldn't ever talk about. Like, you don't talk about, well, when you, you know. When you yeah. feel like you can't talk about it, it puts that added layer of shame on top, like a, yeah. like a pressure cooker, and you got to keep the lid on it. Yeah. But the reality is when you open that dialogue up, what ends up happening is you create connection. Mm-hmm. And that's where compassion is born, is when you have that connection. And I know that, that we did, mm-hmm. you know, when we were able to, to connect and, and lean on one another as well. Beth, what do you want women who are diagnosed, say, tomorrow, to walk away knowing? So there's a few things. I would say the first is that take time, take time out to breathe. Breathing is so important. Yeah, literally and figuratively breathe and just recognize that you're not alone. We have been here before you and there is... There's a path. The other thing is related to that. There's a path. There's a, there's a plan. But the other thing is don't get too attached to your plans. <laughs> good point. <laughs> Which is probably also a good lesson for life is don't get too attached to your plans because they might not work out that way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one for me. I like plans. I like schedules. I prefer it if they're color-coded. <laughs> and So me. <laughs> <laughs> And then to be thrown into this world of cancer diagnosis and treatment where nothing is freaking color-coded and it's all disorganized and you can't put it in order. And it made me angry that I couldn't control things. Mm-hmm. And to be able to let that go and say, all right, well, this is not what I thought we were going to be doing today. Okay, let's do it. I know that one of the things that frustrated me is I wanted to talk about a plan. I wanted a plan from the beginning. Okay, I have cancer. Get it out. What is my action plan? Give me my step-by-step guideline Mm. to beat the crap out of this thing so that I'm done with it. And what I realized is that the plan presented itself as I started walking through the plan. I didn't Mm. know what step two was going to be until I got finished or halfway through part one. And it kind of... The plan developed as I got more information along the way, which was a hard thing for me to wrap my head around because I wanted to know from the beginning so I could mark it off my list. And it mm-hmm. just it just didn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. And learning to accept that is a very difficult lesson, but I guarantee you can't make it through unless you learn it. Yes. You'll drive yeah. yourself crazy. But, but we're supposed to do this. But today was supposed to be chemo and we're not going to do it. And it's hard enough to go through this detach from the plan and be comfortable with changes right makes it just that much easier and recognize that too that even if you're in a low that doesn't mean that there won't be sunshine tomorrow Mm -hmm. because like you said at the at the the get-go of this whole interview you said it so well with that roller coaster there's highs and lows and that's the way it goes well thank you both so much for joining us here today i'm so 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 very happy to have you on our show 
And I'm looking forward to walking, stalking with Alexis tomorrow <laughs> and walking with you on Sunday. So thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Our little Cancer Maine family participated in the New England three-day 2019. And we did San Diego the year before. And before the New England event was even over, Beth was, hey, we're signing up for next year. So here we go again because... Together we weather this storm and it's about pushing forward and rising strong together and knowing that you don't have to do it alone and knowing that there's hope out there and knowing that together we will fight and we will find an end to it. And every little bit counts. Every step you take, every dollar you raise, it all matters. And that's what this is all about. I want all of you guys to recognize that no matter what you do, whether it's the three-day or whether or not it's talking to a friend or reaching out to somebody who may have been there or maybe going through it, every small step of kindness, every small effort that you make, they're not so small because they add up when you combine them with those acts of other people as well. So reach out. There is great power in one because when that one unites with others, It's really not so little. I look forward to speaking with you guys again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.